Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your co-host for today's show, Tommy Garrett, Senior Fantasy Analyst here at Pro Football Network. You can find me over on Twitter, at Tommy Garrett PFN. And joining me is my co-host, as always, Fantasy Analyst here at Pro Football Network, Jason Katz. You can find him at JasonKatz13 over on Twitter. Katz, it is the final week of the preseason. We have almost made it through. I can almost start to uncross some of my fingers as we get away and hopefully get through this unscathed without a bunch of injuries. How are you doing so far today? You got any drafts coming up? Are you getting nervous? You're kind of just excited for the season to finally get around to us. The NFL offseason for me, from a fantasy perspective, it starts in like, it starts like at the NFL draft. Like once that happens, it's like, okay, now, now we're looking ahead mm-hmm. the season. How do we get there? My first thought is, all right, first we got to create all my fantasy leagues. They got to all be renewed. Then now we got to get drafted schedule. Okay, once that's done, then we got, okay, now we got training camp. All right, can we get through training camp? All right, good. Now we got preseason. Can we get everyone out of preseason healthy? And at the time of this recording, we've got just one more game left. So far, so good. It is two teams that intend to play their starters for reasons that I can never understand. Hopefully, no issues, and then we make it out of that all clear. And then after that, don't tell me Holt's <laughs> being saved up for this one final game, right? Please don't put that Juju out there in the universe. Oh, I hope not. I mean, it, it, Ju- Juju's formal team is, is one of the ones playing. I don't know if there's any connection there with the Juju, but oh, hopefully it'll be God. it'll be good Juju. <laughs> uh, but a- after that, oh. we've got uh, we've got our drafts, and then it's on to the season. So so we're very close. I've already drafted two teams now. This is the first podcast we're recording where I've already drafted teams. So this is a, this is a, n- a new era. And I've got, I got one uh, later tonight. Uh, this is Sunday night. And then uh, this week is just – it's a whole bunch. Then once we hit Wednesday, it's like I got one pretty much every day till the season starts. It, it's a whole lot of fun. My favorite time of the year because, uh, you know, once the games start, it's not fun anymore. The, the season's not fun. The season is a relief. I'm, I get I feel relief when I win. That's it. There's no joy. The, the joy is when drafting my team. It's, it's relief when you win. I hear you. Um, and I know like obviously everyone else, we're all in the same boat right now trying to get our final preparations. Um, if you guys do have your drafts coming up, PFN, we have released our draft kit. We do have all of our player outlooks, our ADP articles, rankings, tiers, eh, all of the insight that we could put together. We've been researching over the last summer. All of that's been released over on the website. So please do go over there, check it out to get your little draft uh, prep on before you get into there. No one wants to be that person printing off a cheat sheet right before the draft. Get your knowledge game on, get ready to go. But what we're going to be doing here is we're going to kind of dive into some of the more pressing questions heading into drafts and where we're kind of finding some hot topics 
and some things that aren't necessarily completely hammered out that are kind of making managers guess a little, make some, take some, uh, a little bit of like some leaps of faith. And I'm sure, cats, you saw some of these take place in your recent draft, which is kind of why we're talking about some of these. So we know if you're hitting them, that a lot of other people have probably seen them out there as well. And I think a good place to start is it's a bit of an interesting one because normally everyone would be, you know, jumping up and down trying to draft a 23-year-old former first-round running back on one of the most powerful offenses in the NFL. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been anything but a lock-steady running back for fantasy football between issues in the passing game, inability to kind of cash in the red zone, and then they bring in some extra running backs in there with, with Ronald Jones. Like, at this point, especially after sitting out the third preseason game, which typically does indicate the the starter's role, and I don't think that's ever been in question with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Is, is, it, is it getting to the point where Clyde Edwards-Alaire is being undervalued? Like, are you drafting him right now because you want him, or is it simply because he's sliding so far in draft? You're like, you know what? Screw it. Like, at this point, what do I have to lose? Like, what's your thoughts right now on Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I can't say that I'm clamoring to draft him because I truly believe that talent-wise, he probably should have been a day three pick. And if not for his... I'll give him day two. I'll give him day two. He shouldn't have been day one. Not in that class. Right. I'll allow it. I mean, I know you're a little better at the rookie analysis than I am, so I'll, I'll defer to you on the judgment on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's talent. But in terms of his on-field performance since he's been drafted, I don't see a guy that really needs to be a starter in the NFL. However, as, as you pointed out, he is on one of the best offenses in the NFL with, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the NFL. And that has value. And the most telling thing for me is not just that he sat out the final preseason game, but it's that Isaiah Pacheco, uh, who's the biggest threat to taking his early down work because Jarek McKinnon, no matter what, is going to be that third down back. The question is, is Pacheco going to eat into his early down work? He played deep into the second half. And I don't I don't expect uh, a player, a seventh-round pick, playing into the second half of the final preseason game to be somebody we should necessarily be worried about. I know Pacheco's a hot name. I know he's been skyrocketing fantasy drafts, but I'm just not buying this takeover for Pacheco. I think we're going to open the season with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire getting 10 to 12 carries a game. And likely go on work and that should be enough to give him at least like high rb3 value which is which is higher than where he's being drafted now so I, I, we're at the point where if his value keeps tumbling yeah i'll be, I'll be the gatekeeper i'll be the guy that, st- that stops the slide yeah it's i'm not necessarily thinking that pacheco was absolutely going to take this over this, this job over i don't i don't believe that either but it, it's a name to watch it's more so just for that late round value if you just want to take a flyer on someone a little bit cheaper you said he did play later on to that game did rush 10 times for 52 yards honestly he's looked like the flashier back in this offense. And I'm not going to discredit the fact that, hey, he might do something later on. If CH gets injured or gets uh drops, puts a ball on the ground too many times, yeah, we might see something else happen later on. But I, I agree with you. I think right now it's definitely more still the the CEH show. And I think it's probably time to give him back a little bit more value. Like I said, not someone I'm probably targeting, but as an RB3 on your roster, if you went RB, RB heavy early and then started loading up on some tight ends, like, that's a pretty easy pick to make later on, like I said, in those like eighth round or so, whatever. I, I like Clyde Edwards on that roster. Um, I think we're going to kind of keep it in the same region right here. Marlon Mack, it definitely seems like this is the Damian Pierce show. I mean, it's, I think Damian Fierce, I think is probably going to be the nickname we kind of hear coming up down the line as he kind of really just solidified and become one of the darlings of fantasy football and just the NFL in general. It, Florida just completely misused him, and now we're seeing how talented he is. Talented he is. I made the claim. I said this back in like April. Like I will put money on. He's going to end up on GMFB on the uh, 
the hard hit award. He's going to get a scepter. I, I see it happen. He's got anger runs all over him. At this point, does Marlon Mack even matter for fantasy? I don't think so. I had him ranked initially like relatively high, like like in like the forties area. I believe he was the lead back, and but also we didn't know who was going to win it. And uh, I, normally you would think Lovey Smith is going to lead on the veteran, but that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? I, I think that we that actions speak louder than words in this case. Marlon Mack was given yeah. a one year, two million dollar contract with just $250,000 guaranteed. I mean, the reality is they could cut him and it wouldn't be a problem. I don't think they will. I think he's clearly the backup here. And if something happened to Pierce, Mac would be the starter. But Mac, Marlon Mack is a veteran. I, I mean, he's 26 years old. And he was playing into the second half of the final preseason game. Pierce didn't play. And we know Rex Burke is the third down back. So it, this is kind of similar to the Chiefs situation where the third down back is settled. It's just a question of how much... Will the backup, whoever it is, impact the starter? And in this case, I think Marlon Mack is looking at two to four carries a game. And this is Damian Pierce's role. Yeah, the thing with me is this is an offense where there's only going to be one running back who's going to be viable. The RB2 and something, there won't be enough volume to go around. There also won't be enough scoring opportunities. Damian Pierce has the higher upside. He's the guy I'm wanting. He's also a wild card in drafts because right now the ADP on whatever site you're drafting in likely hasn't corrected to where he probably should be drafted based on value. So we don't really know where he's going to go right now. Like I look over on fancy pros 111 right now, RB 38. That's probably close, but I think it's probably gonna be like that RB 36 to 40 range anywhere in there. I think Damian Pierce is going to go. Does he probably have a little bit higher value than that? Yeah, but you probably don't need to spend that on it at the same time. He's gone from one of the best values and like in the RB 30, RB like kind of 40 range, because we didn't know. Now that we think we have an idea where this backfield is going to go, Damian Pierce is going to be a guy who could, I don't want to throw league winner out there, but he's certainly going to give you good value. On the contrast, when we look over here in San Francisco, outside of Elijah Mitchell, I got no idea what's happening in this backfield right now. It's TDP, Terry and Davis Price at LSU was the guy they drafted this year. Didn't seem like at one point he had the leg up, especially after what Trey Sermon did, or I guess more importantly, didn't do last year after they drafted him out of Ohio State. He really hasn't put anything together. And quite frankly, the best looking running back hasn't been any of the two. It's actually been Jordan Mason. Um, you still got Jeff Wilson on this team. Jermichael Hasty is around. If Elijah Mitchell gets hurt, which based off history of last season, there's a possibility of that. I don't think we have a good idea on who the actual RB2 is in this backfield. Like, is there anyone specifically you're targeting or is it pretty much Elijah Mitchell and then I'm just going to wait to see what happens? Like, do we even have a recommendation on who you could say would be the RB2 to draft right now? Or do you not do anyone and just say, hey, I'm going to try to fight this out on waivers? One of the biggest reasons that I'm opposed to drafting handcuffs in general is because we are not great at predicting who they are, aside from the ones that are obvious, like Alexander Madison and like Kareem Hunt, even though he's not really a handcuff. But like those type of guys where we know that they have a role and they will produce in the event of the injury to the starter. For the 49ers, it's it's an interesting scenario because we kind of know that whoever it is will produce. We just have no clue who it is. We don't even have guesses. There are legitimately four possible possible players it could be, and I can't recommend drafting any of them with this with with the 49ers backfield. Elijah Mitchell is the clear guy, but if he does miss time yeah. at that point, you take a shot on a number of the backups. Uh, to the 
Jeff Wilson will probably be the immediate ad, and that's who it was last year, and he'd be my mm-hmm. guess as to who it is. But I would throw, while everyone else is spending a bunch of fab on Jeff Wilson, you throw a dart at Jordan Mason or 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 Terry Davis Price or even Trey Sermon if he's still on the team, and I see mean, we to see who even makes the cut. Right. That's the big one. Who makes a fifty-three? That's going to answer probably some of our questions. Yeah, it's it's. Right now, it's very much up in the air. By the time you all listen to this, it, it'll be roster cut day. So you may listen before roster cuts, maybe after it's finalized. And some of these backs that we saw play on, on a, I think it was Friday or Saturday, whatever the game was, they're not going to be on the team anymore. And we'll have a little bit better idea. At least the, the pool of players it could be will shrink a bit. But still, it's Elijah Mitchell is the clear one. And beyond that, we don't know. And I would not recommend drafting any of them. At this point, I just hope Elijah Mitchell stays healthy. If he stays healthy, I put the tweet out the other day. He'd be RB12 kind of range, low end, RB1, high end, RB2. Like the the volume is there. The talent is there. We saw it. He's just got to stay on the field. Speaking of staying on the field, we got to see who's going to get on the field up there in Buffalo. I think another running back situation, which I think you're kind of noting a theme right now. Like once you get through the first part of the running backs, kind of around the like Brees Hall kind of range, essentially even like more so like David Montgomery, there's just a ton of questions. Like this is really just a ton of questions trying to figure out what these depth charts are going to look like on who could be the most viable backup if you need him. It definitely looks like this is so definitely Devin Singletary's team, and it should be. With the way he played towards the end of last season on the final year of his contract, Devin Singletary is the RB to roster in Buffalo. But what's going on behind that? Look a look at Zach Moss where he did end up playing where the where the Bills kind of rested a lot of their starters. It looked like Zach Moss ahead. For me, I kind of look at it more so as Zach Moss is that one and two down kind of spell back for uh, Devin Singletary. They need it where James Hook is going to be that manufactured back. They're definitely going to get him involved in the passing game, which obviously that's what they draft him to do. It's what his best skill set is. More than likely, Cook is going to be the running back I would like to roster if I don't have Devin Singletary. But is he going to be startable for me? I don't know quite yet. What are your kind of thoughts on like on Zach Moss right? Like, is he actually back to being a a running back you're trying to roster this year, or is it only if you have Devin Singletary, then you would take a shot on Zach Moss? I'm not really sure what to make of this because they tried to sign yeah. JD McKissick and they drafted Zach Moss. They signed Duke Johnson. Sorry, they they drafted James Cook, signed Duke Johnson. It's clear they wanted Well, the Duke Johnson signing, honestly, was because they wanted that receiving back after getting turned down by JD McKissick, who went back to Washington. And then they bring in James Cook. So to me, it was like you you threw three different darts at a pass catching back. That's exactly where I was going with that. Exactly. They clearly wanted this specific archetype of running back, and they made sure to yeah. throw multiple shots at, at, at getting him. And I think that they probably have him in James Cook. But then we go into this final preseason game, and they rest all their starters, which included Zach Moss, all their starters and key backups. And James Cook's playing out there. And I get James Cook as a rookie. So it's it's tough to read too much into it because rookies tend to play more in the preseason, even when they are going to be starters. They're just trying to give them some rep. Exactly, he needs he needs to learn the offense and get those live NFL reps. He doesn't have them like Moss and Singletary do. But there's been a lot of talks out of camp and the beat reporters saying that Moss looks better this year and he's may have played his way back into a role. And it sure looks like the Bills. Uh, how much are we really saying by saying Zach Moss play is looking better? Like that's a low. Bar. It's tough for me because because I, I I thought Zach Moss was one of the least talented running backs I've ever seen come out of college. Like I mean, in terms of a guy that went in, in the first in the first uh, two days. I'm not talking about like UDFA's and day three guys, but in terms of top three rounds, I mean, I I I couldn't believe this guy was in the NFL. 
And he played like that for two years. But now they're saying, oh, he's a little bit better. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm allowing for the possibility that Moss has gotten better. I still think this is clearly Singletary's backfield. And he's, he's, the guy, he's not catching passes. So the question is, will they dare use Zach Moss in that role? Or is it going to be Cook and Moss is really just kind of like how we've talked about with Marlon Mack or Isaiah Pacheco, where he's coming in for two to four carries a game, otherwise not doing anything. That would kind of be my lean. And he would only matter if Singletary got hurt. That's kind of where I'm at with Zach Moss right now. Yeah. I think for me, I think Singletary is moving up my rankings just a little bit as we get closer on because it does seem like it's very much the, it's his backfield and then the other one else kind of fighting for the rest of things. He's going to lose a little bit in the receiving game to James Cook, but I still think he has probably the highest upside if anyone does it. We know the Singletary can be good and how powerful this Buffalo Bills offense can be. I think it's going to stick in the exact same division with the New England Patriots. This backfield has changed so many different times and it's, it's kind of going on a roller coaster of us wanting to take like the latest news and really run with it. And then all of a sudden getting some more news afterwards. Cause it's all of a sudden Ramadre Stevenson looked like the running back to roster. And I think he played really well. I think he also has the highest upside. I still have him ahead of Damian Harris, but then we get more reports coming out from beat reporters and in new England saying, huh, hold up now. It's not necessarily that cut and dry. It's still very much Damian Harris involved in this offense. And it's more of a, that one, a one B kind of situation. How are you viewing the New England Patriots backfield? I know Ty Montgomery did have a the leg injury, which kind of does open up the door a little bit more for Pierre Strong following the retirement of James White as that primary pass catching back. But are you is this a backfield you're targeting? And if so, do you have someone or is it kind of hey, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wash my hands of this thing and kind of stay away out of this whole situation? My general approach would normally be I don't want any part of it. There are too many names floating around. But for it's the Patriots backfield. It's kind of isn't that what we've always kind of yeah, said? Stay away. Exactly. From and and last last year, Damien Harris was the guy, and Ramondre Stevenson was only the guy when Harris was hurt. This year, for me, I I'm kind of buying into Stevenson. I just I just believe in him. I think that he can take Harris's job potentially. My fear is that this backfield they're going to run it similar to how the Broncos ran Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon last year, where it was kind of your turn, my turn, where they just alternated series. Mm-hmm. They each played they, they played five to six snaps in a row each, and then after that they came out and the other one went in. And on third down, in in Denver last year, they both played on third downs. There was no pure passing down back, and there's a chance that Harris and Stevenson both share that role as well. Now the the worst part of it would be. If, Mon- if Sweeney Montgomery is okay, which I hope he is, or maybe J.J. Taylor, maybe Pierre Strong, if any of these guys are the third down back and it's not Harris or Stevenson, then we've got the early down role being split and none of them are catching passes, which means that we don't want any of them. I'm, so that's the worst case scenario. But I'm, I'm kind of willing to gamble that Stevenson can play his way into like a, a 60-40 split with Harris, in which case I think he will, he will be a value based on his ADP. With Ramondre Stevenson, are you comfortable with him as your your RB two on roster, or do you prefer him more as like your RB three? I'm only comfortable with him as my RB two if I've like stacked receivers and I've gone like a hero RB build, and I'm not taking him until the seventh or eighth round. And at this point, his ADP has been spiking. I, I I think that he kind of doesn't make it out of the sixth in a lot of in a lot of cases. If I can get him in the seventh or eighth, I'm much more thrilled with that. I'm certainly not reaching for him, but if he's if he's my RB two, then I better have really good receivers. Yeah, looking at his ADP right now, he's kind of coming off the board as the running back 35 right at pick 100, um, which that's not bad value. That's not bad for where he's at. Going right around Chase Edmonds, I think it's actually a really good steal at that range at 92. Melvin Gordon, Kenneth Walker, we already talked about Damian Pierce and Michael Carter. I think it's actually a really solid range 
of the running back position. If you did go hero RB, looking at the guys like Kareem Hunt, Edmonds, Stevenson, Gordon, Pierce, Carter, James Robinson, I really like targeting some of the guys, even Brian Robinson down there at uh, at pick 113. I think it was a really good value if you do want to wait a little bit more or get some extra depth after you go in heavy on the uh, running back, or wide receiver situation, I should say. Um, Going to stick with the same thing here. Um, Las Vegas Raiders. Zamir White and, and Josh Jacobs. This has kind of been the talk of the entire preseason, really starting at the Hall of Fame game with how they wanted to use Josh Jacobs early on. I think me and you have both, we've talked about this already in the podcast a couple different times at this point and saying, look, I think maybe we slightly overreacted in the beginning about how um, Josh Jacobs being used in the very first game of the preseason looked. It kind of seems more and more likely given how less he has been out there that, yeah, they, it's a first game. Let's get him some reps. And also in case anything does happen. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest recovery window possible to get ready for week one. Um, we did see Zamir White in the Raiders last game, uh, although we did not see Josh Jacobs or Amir Abdullah. Are you still bullish right now on Zamir White? And what do you think his role is going to be for the Raiders this year? I'm bullish on Zamir White as it comes to his talent. If he became the Raiders' lead back, I do think that he would be better than Jacobs is. I think he's a better player than Jacobs. But based upon the preseason usage, it's a bit ironic because it turns out I think that the reason Jacobs was in there in the first game is to just get him some reps early on and then never have to get it done, get it yep. over. Get and in worst case, if he were to get hurt, he would have, like you said, he would have a full month to recover. Whereas these coaches playing guys on in this final week have the minimum amount of time. They, they only have two weeks. So if someone gets hurt now, it's a problem. If Jacobs had gotten hurt other than something serious, he'd, he'd probably be able to recover in time. Since that game, the Raiders haven't played Jacobs. I don't think if I'm remembering correctly. And they, they didn't play Derek Carr. Which about the None of those guys played at all. So Josh McDaniels has been very clear. He's not playing starters. And other than the all End game, that included Jacobs. And he's been protecting Amir Abdullah also more than Zamir White. That sends a clear message to me, at least, that this is going to be Jacobs on early, Jacobs on early downs. And Abdullah has taken the role that Kenyon Drake had last year and the year before and that Jalen Rashard had before that. That's going to be Amir Abdullah. And I don't see Zamir White as having much of a role at all early in the season. I think he's going to be seeing the same as those guys we've discussed earlier in this show where two to four carries a game just when when Jacobs is tired and they want to run the ball. That's really it. Uh, I think Samir White will be drafted in a lot of leagues and dropped by week three or four if Jacobs stays healthy. And then if something happens to Jacobs later in the season, then Samir White will be a very popular waiver ad. Yep, nailed it. I think you're, his best value is going to come off the waiver in case anything does happen to Josh Jacobs. Um, looking down here, speaking of having value, but I don't think this is necessarily just a waiver situation. I think he's got legitimate value from the start. And that's going to be Alvin, uh, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram situation. It's we were thinking that Alvin Kamara could very well be suspended. I think me and you are both of the opinion that that seems very unlikely uh, for this season. And I think at that point, look, Kamara, you can take him in the first round, back in the first round. I have no issue with. It. He's got that kind of talent. RB four, RB four in points per game. We know how good he can be. But Mark Ingram most certainly is going to have a role in this offense. We'll go back to last year and their four games together. 
Camaro um, dropped down to 14.25 opportunities per game. At the same time, Mark Ingram averaged 13.7 opportunities per game, including 13 red zone carries. In the games where Camaro did miss, he was averaging 13 attempts, 5.7 targets, and 82 yards per scrimmage. Like, we know that Ingram is going to have value in this offense. For me, I'm actually really big on drafting him in leagues. Even if I don't have Alvin Kamara, I think he's got standalone value, maybe even as a flex play, depending on the matchup. We saw him in the last game. He was coming in there in that goal line. And I think that's where you're wanting to see him play. He's not going to break him long. He's not going to be that receiving back, although he can be that at certain times if called upon. He's just obviously not as good as Alvin Kamara. But in that red zone, Mark Ingram has a nose for the end zone, despite his age. I don't know about you, Cats, but I think he's still got fantasy appeal even in 2022. Man, I thought he was cooked two years ago, but he really proved me wrong last year. And once the Saints got him back, this was like pre-Ravens Ingram Kamara. I mean, it's just, just what it looked like. It looked like the same thing that we saw in 2017 and 2018 with this uh, the, the Thunder and Lightning type combo. And I think we're going to see the same thing again. I think that they're back committed to Kamara's their guy for sure. But Ingram's going to have, I think, legitimately like eight to ten carries a game. I think he's going to be the goal line back. It's it's definitely a concern for Kamara. I mean, last year, admittedly, small sample size, only four games. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is a player, Kamara, who averaged 20.6 fantasy points per game in his nine games without Ingram. With Ingram... 12.75 12.75 fantasy points per game. Do I think he'll be that low all season? Of course not. I think he'll be very much in the 15-16 range at, at the very least. But we'll, we're expecting Kamara to be the type of guy who can hit 20. And Ingram seems to be putting a, a kind of a cap on that while he's there. So yeah, I definitely I definitely like Ingram a lot more now than I did a month ago. Because I think it's very clear that not only is he the RB2, but he's going to have a role in what's likely a 60-40 type split. Yeah, it's like I said, it's been a guy I've been I've been kind of targeting a lot this offseason, whether it was because of the possibility of a Camaro suspension or just because I think he just has value. Like I I like I like Mark Ingram. I think it's gonna do very well. And I think once he got back there and got some of that New Orleans food back in the system, we saw him kind of return back to that running back that he used to be. Um I'm gonna keep down here down in the south in the exact same division over here in Atlanta. Look, folks, this team's gonna be rough to watch. I ain't gonna lie to you. Outside of Kyle Pitts and Drake London, there's not a ton of fantasy upside on this roster. I think Cordero Patterson does bring a little bit, but have we probably seen the ceiling for him? More than likely, because he did kind of wear down a little bit. And I think that's where things become interesting is, who is going to see the volume on the ground? We know Patterson is very much more involved in the air, and I think that's where you want him to be, because he's an explosive playmaker, get the ball in his hands, but who's going to take the pounding on the ground? They did draft Tyler Algier out of BYU, who was very much a one-cut, I'm going to meet you in a hallway, wants to run the Oklahoma drill kind of guy. Like, that. that's him. And then you also have Damian Williams, who was once, you know, highly sought after at one point, and then all of a sudden tapers back off, and it's kind of been a journeyman from that point on. Now with the Atlanta Falcons, like, should we care about Damian Williams? Because quite frankly, he's been getting a little bit of run in this preseason. Or are you just kind of looking, okay, I'm either going to get Cordero Patterson later on is like my RB3, and then I just don't care about anyone else. Like, What are your thoughts right now? Well, Tyler Algier started their final preseason game, but very quickly, Kadri Allison mi- mixed in. So I, I think we're looking at a scenario where I think Damian Williams is going to be the kind of lead back, so to speak, but we, we may get a legitimate like three-headed monster back there where we're seeing uh, Patterson getting four to six carries a game, 
and being used a little bit more as a receiver. So four to six carries for Patterson and maybe four to five targets. I think that's good value for him. He will not be the guy he was last year, but I think he's being a bit undervalued. He can still be a, a solid wide receiver three or RB three type player, depending on how you want to use him and what his eligibility is. And then at the running back position, I just think that this offense isn't really good enough. And, we're, and if we see Damian Williams getting eight to 10 carries and then Tyler Algier getting four to six and Kadri Allison getting two to four, it's just going to be a whole mishmash of these like replacement level talents, although I do think Algier is a little better than that, doing just enough to be that kind of useful for the Falcons, but not so much for fantasy. I'm not really drafting any of these running backs. The only Falcons running back I'm interested in is Cordero Patterson. Yeah, and it's it's not even so much that I'm interested. It's just if he ends up being yes. a good value, right? It's that's my whole thing. Like I'm not. It's not someone I'm targeting. Kind of similar to the situation here in Cincinnati. Like outside of Joe Mixon, I'm not targeting any other Bengals running backs. Like even if you have Joe Mixon, like I understand the concept of drafting the handcuff, and there's there's always going to be some value to that. But quite frankly, some of these backups, like once that starter goes down, how much upside is there really? Because a lot of times it turns into a bit of a committee or they're just not quite as talented to really kind of do the exact same thing. Like the Bengals this year, like they don't typically play anyone relevant in the preseason. We look at these last, the last game, it was Chris Evans that played and not Samaj P. Ryan. So kind of looking to the like, hey, P. Ryan is going to be the RB2 to own in from Cincinnati. Are you kind of targeting Samaj P. Ryan this year, even if you don't have Joe Mixon, or just kind of like he is the the primary backup and the primary handcuff, only if you've already drafted Joe Mixon in like the first round? Or this is just knowledge to have. If Mixon gets hurt, yeah. P. Ryan's who you probably want to prioritize over Evans. That's really all I take away from this. I'm not drafting P. Ryan, even if I have Mixon, just not burning that roster spot. I don't think P. Ryan is good enough, and I don't think he will take enough of the work if Mixon were to get hurt to justify spending a roster spot on him. I'd rather take a shot on someone who could potentially have value, like irrespective of the starter getting hurt. There is no chance, none, that any Falcons, that any Bengals running back has any value outside of Joe Mixon while Joe Mixon is healthy. Yep. So I'd rather take a shot on somebody who could have value and something could happen that that I, I get it. I get another useful player rather than just having basically two spots spent on one player. Yeah, and the thing I will say when I, when I bring up like drafting him, like in a ten team or a twelve team league, Samaj P. Ryan is not draftable. We're not drafting him, but in a deeper format, or if you have like a lot of starters or a deep enough bench, then we kind of start talking to some of these guys who might not necessarily be in your typical league, but they might be out there in some deeper ones. Kind of similar to the situation out here in Arizona between Darrell Williams and Eno Benjamin. It looks like right now they're playing Eno as if he's the number two, but I mean, cats tell me, can, do you think Eno Benjamin is actually going to be the number two behind James Conner, which is an interesting spot because James Conner's had an, an injury problem. He's kind of always had in history with like, is he going to be the guy in case anything happens? James Conner, do you think? I mean, we, we saw the situation play out last year where we, had a scenario where James Conner and Chase Evans were both banged up and they basically went out of their way to use anyone other than Eno Benjamin. Uh, could he have gotten better from last year to this year? I mean, yeah, but he was a seventh round pick. He's not particularly fast. He, I, I just, he's a bit undersized. I just, I don't see a scenario where Eno Benjamin is ever someone you're starting in fantasy. Even if Conner gets hurt at, at best, we'll, we'll get a timeshare maybe with Eno and Darrell Williams, but Darrell Williams is, is, is the, solid so he is the quintessential replacement level talent he just 
you you put him in there when the starter gets hurt and he he does just enough. And that's what he did in Kansas City last year and when he was useful. And I think that's what he'll do this year because James Conner will inevitably miss some time. And we'll see Daryl Williams. Uh, Benjamin might mix in as well. But, I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if Conte Ingram beat him out. I, I, if he makes the roster, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm certainly not drafting Eno Benjamin. But I do think that if Conner were to get hurt, we would see Eno's name pop up on waiver columns. How, would that be worth it? I don't know. That'll be something we'll have to assess at the time. But right now, he's not someone I'm looking to draft. Nah, it's for me. It's James Conner bust on this offense in terms of the running backs. That's all I'm looking at. I think this one's an interesting one. What's going on in Philadelphia? It's been a ugly committee for years and years. I think it's still Kenneth Gainwell who is the lead back. I think he also has the momentum based off of last year. Like in game, if if you ever saw Kenneth Gainwell actually get some snaps, some snap share, he's really good. In the five games where Kenneth Gainwell saw over 35% of the snaps, he averaged 17.5 PPR points per game. He topped out in week 18 when he saw 53% and scored 18.7. Like, it's still going to probably be the Miles Sanders show. I still lean Kenneth Gainwell as that number two behind him, but I think there's very much up for debate, especially coming off of Sunday, where when the Eagles rested everyone, Kenneth Gainwell played. Are you looking more as this is going to be Boston Scott as a primary running back to uh to back up Miles Sanders, or is this? Do you think it's still Kenneth Gainwell? What are you kind of looking at? In this uh, yeah, I'm actually a little opposite of you on this one, and, and I believe that Boston Scott is the guy to roster behind Miles Sanders. And I have recently, uh, just recently, so you won't see this reflected on PFN probably just yet, but I've I've bumped Boston Scott ahead of Kenneth Gainwell in my rankings. I just believe that Scott is the RB two, and okay. we saw it last year when Miles Sanders went down. Scott was the guy. And Scott is someone they trust at the goal line. And Scott has proven to be a competent pass catcher. Uh, so I think that Scott is going to be someone that's that's definitely worth rostering and might even be worth starting if Miles Sanders gets hurt. If Miles Sanders is healthy, then then yeah, I, I'm not interested in any of these guys really. I, but I'm willing to throw them on my bench. I know Gainwell had, had moments last year, but his usage actually decreased as the year went on. And that was concerning. And then we see this same narrative again with Scott playing ahead of him and Gainwell playing in the final preseason game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Scott as the RB2. Yeah, gave on last year, RB41, 55 in points per game. In contrast, you look at Miles uh, Sanders and Scott. Uh, in the games where Scott and Sanders both played, uh, Scott averaged 8.3 points per game without Miles Sanders in those four games, 14.78 PPR, PPR points per game. So if Boston Scott's in there, especially on a team that doesn't have Jordan Howard anymore to seal those goal line back uh, carries, I think Boston Scott definitely does have value. We'll see which way uh, they end up going. Um Heading down here, we'll look at. We only got a couple more teams we're going to kind of run through, try to wrap things up here, try to answer some more questions that are kind of plaguing everyone on draft day. Uh, down there in in Tampa Bay, we saw they added in Julio Jones uh, to pair alongside Mike Evans and to play with Chris Godwin. Although Chris Godwin, uncertain when he's going to come back, he was able to avoid the pup list, and it seemed like he was tracking on schedule. But even if he does play. Are you concerned about just in general, like before we type really dive in on who's going to be the number two here, just what the return is going to be for Chris Godwin? Because honestly, wide receivers come back for their first year from an ACL injury. It's tough to fully trust him. You're kind of feeling the same thing with Godwin this year. Yeah, it's it's tricky because in like in like a snake draft, taking Godwin in like the fifth or sixth round, it directly costs you another player. 
in like in an auction, you can kind of get away with it more because you can allot funds and you can you can prepare for it in advance and know that you're going to draft somebody else who's going to start in, in his place, at least for the first couple of weeks of the season, depending on when Godwin comes back. But it, it's it's tough to basically say, OK, I'm not going to take this healthy player, probably a year two or three player who has significant upside because I'm going to take this admittedly top 12 wide receiver when he's healthy coming over a late season torn ACL, who we know is going to be at very least limited for the first few weeks of the season. And, and then we have the matter of, okay, well, if it's not Godwin, then who is it? I mean, Russell Gage has been de- dealing with this mysterious minor hamstring injury that's now entering his fourth week of, of absence from practice. Um, so are they just being overly cautious? Or might we be heading into week one in a scenario where Julio Jones is starting? It's, it's something to consider because, I mean, I, I've been beating the drum for a year and a half now that Julio's done. But uh, Tom Brady, I mean – See, I don't think and maybe he he's not. I mean, I, I bashed AJ Green last year, and he can and he proved that he can still be. I mean, he's not AJ Green anymore, but he was definitely hit moments of productivity yeah. last year, and he definitely proved me wrong. And I think Julio, if I'm comparing Julio and AJ Green, I think Julio is less done. So if AJ Green was able to do something productive, then doesn't it stand to reason that Julio could also be useful, especially with Tom Brady, especially mm-hmm. if he's operating as a wide receiver too? And on the team that has the highest tempo and the highest pass rate in the NFL, like I think there's volume there for one of these guys to really break out outside of Mike Evans. If you could tell me Godwin was healthy, you're looking at a top 15 wide receiver. And right now he's being drafted as a wide receiver 21 ahead of guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, even Cortland Sutton, Darnell Mooney, like guys who we know are healthy and we know have roles. Like I'm a little worried on Godwin. He's probably going a little bit higher in drafts than I'm probably willing to pay for. And then it's, you know, who's going to be the next guy? I think the upside play is probably is probably Julio of the two. Like Julio Jones can be absolutely special if he can stay healthy and stay on the field. He's kind of out of that, you know, run first pass offense uh, that was in in Tennessee. And I like I like Russell Gage. I was raising the I had my flag up for him for the past couple of years over there in Atlanta. But when you've got Julio Jones on your team, like I'm just saying, like, it's Julio Jones. It might be a better NFL move than it is for fantasy, but it wouldn't surprise me if Julio Jones does have value this year. Another guy that looks like he will have value this year will be Albert Ogwebenam, the tight end for the uh, Denver Broncos. Uh, this one's been killing me. It's been annoying me. I'll be completely honest with you. I am so sick of people saying, oh, he played this weekend. Guess that means he's not going to start. He's not a part of their offense. I'm like, we're just reaching to conclusions when every single other beat reporter and person attached to the Denver Broncos all say Albert O is going to have a prominent role in this offense. Yes. Greg Dolchich did look good earlier on. And I do think he will be around, but look, it's, I think if we're all of a sudden trying to say and make assumptions like this, this widely when everything else is going against what's being said about Albert O like, Albert O was going to be a solid late round tight end option. If you do want to wait on the position, even like when the Broncos rests, everyone, we know what Albert O can be in this offense. He's got to step up. He can be really solid. I think he's finally getting his chance without Noah Fant on this, on the field anymore. One of the top tight ends and yards per route run when he got his opportunities, the explosiveness is there. The quarterback is there. The scheme is there to me. Albert O not only does his job look safe, not really under threat from the rookie, but I think he's got that breakout upside at the tight end position this year. Yeah, I'm still in on Albert O. I never actually dropped him despite him playing into the fourth quarter of the second preseason game. I just wanted to wait for more information because yeah. the reality is I thought about it. And I'm like, okay, yes, this is objectively concerning. I don't want to see any starters playing that late in the preseason or at all in the preseason. But who else would it be? 
Because, yeah, Greg Joltz is their rookie that they drafted, but he hasn't practiced in like two or three weeks. He hasn't even played in a preseason game. I mean, we're going to ask a rookie tight end at the hardest position to translate from the from college to the pros to come in without any practice and take Alberto's job or take any meaningful stats away from him in week one? That just doesn't seem plausible to me. So who else is there? I, I, don't, I don't see an answer to anybody other than it being Albert O as the guy in week one. So I'm still drafting him. I actually got him last night in an auction for like two bucks as like an insurance policy in case Darren Waller doesn't play week one. Thrilled about that. Yeah, I, I love that all day long. Like I said, when you look at the rest of the depth chart, there's no one else out there. And quite frankly, it's like I'm not surprised to see Albert O playing a little bit more than we typically would for a start because you got to think, this is a bit of a different situation we normally would see. There is no starter from last year on this roster that was Noah fan he's up there in seattle so to see alberto out there playing i gotta treat it a little bit differently i think he will be the guy that you want to roster off of this team um speaking of seattle it's going to probably be our final one here dig it a little bit of news that geno smith was named the starter in seattle is that a good thing is it a bad thing i think it was probably the the safest option i do like drew lock don't get me wrong he just hasn't shown anything to us that we need him to do to kind of give us any confidence. Geno Smith did play at least somewhat well last year when he was filling in for um, Russell Wilson, who somehow had the second most talked about finger in the NFL. I'll let you guys figure out who had the number one most talked about finger last year issue. Um, but at least when he was out there, he facilitated the ball to DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett was, you know, Tyler Lockett, boomer bust, but hey, he was spreading the ball around. I think he's probably the the safest option and probably the the best one for fantasy. Does this kind of change your your grading right now on where you have DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? Like, are these guys you're going to be actively targeting or just like, hey, look, at the value is there, then I might grab them based on where my rosters are. I can't really adjust rankings based on this information because of two reasons. One, at no point did I ever expect – Drew Locke to start week one. I thought it was clearly going to be Geno all the way, and and it was. It, it, this Honestly, it was okay. never really a competition in terms of like Locke being an actual threat to start. At the same time, I am extremely confident that Drew Locke is making starts this season, not due to injury. Geno Smith, I mean, the Seahawks are going to lose games, and Geno Smith is going to get benched when they do. It's going to happen, and then they're going to lose more games, they're going to go back to Geno. I just see this as being a flip-flop all season. My, my guess is it ends up being a scenario where Geno starts like 10 and Locke starts like 7. It's going to be pretty even. So it's hard to adjust. Which sucks for fantasy because there's no continuity on the offense. Yeah, that's it's, it's unfortunate. And as a result of them both having likely similar number of starts, how do you adjust fantasy values of any of the receivers based on who's starting when you, when, when you expect them both to make similar numbers of starts? Uh, the good news is... It's more so just the tendency of the quarterbacks with Drew Locke taking shots downfield or if you're going to get a more accurate play style out of Gino. I think that's the only thing. Yeah, the thoughts on Drew Locker, he's more willing to just throw it downfield, but he's also more reckless with the football. Is that good for fantasy? I mean, yes, in terms of the shots downfield, but no in terms of, well, they you can't you can't score fantasy points when you don't have the ball. And Drew Locke is more apt to give the ball away. Uh, last year, for what it's worth, in the four games he played with Geno Smith, TK Metcalf averaged 19.6 fantasy points per game. Now, yes, he had like an 80-yard touchdown, which accounted for like most of those points. But <laughs> nevertheless... We've seen back, <laughs> but he has that upside that we can't write that off because that's the type of player that he is. You, you said it perfectly. That's part of the reason that DK Metcalf is kind of still an okay pick given the situation because he's the wide receiver one and he's the guy that doesn't 
acquire like precision timing on passing routes and good accuracy. He's the guy, the quarterbacks go, oh, well, DK's down there somewhere. Maybe he'll go up and get it. Whereas you're not doing that with Lockett. Yeah. And, and we know that DK Metcalf has the talent to be a wide receiver one. And we also know that backup quarterbacks, one of their problems is they don't go through progressions as well. And what do they do? They lean on their first target, which is going to be DK Metcalf. So he could he could get a, a shot at more 50-50 balls, and maybe he comes down with them and ends up being a better fantasy value than we expect. I don't know. I mean, maybe we just shouldn't completely fade 6'4 freaks of nature that are also like 230-something pounds of just chiseled granite can run a 4-340. Like, maybe that's just me. Just draft profiles and see what happens. I think, honestly, I, I, I did start off. You were much higher on DK Metcalf than I was. I think I was just really low. He has moved up. He's in that wide receiver two kind of range for me. I got no issue with him. He just doesn't have the upside that he did have when he was with uh, with Russell Wilson. But quite frankly, that should not be a shock to anyone out there. I think DK will still be okay. Just not quite the the potential RB uh, wide receiver one that we were all be going to be uh, be hoping for. But that's going to wrap up things on today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoyed today's episode of the show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. It does help me help the show grow, and it is greatly appreciated. Also, continue to stay up to date with all the latest news around the league by heading over to ProFootballNetwork.com where you can find all the latest announcements covering not only fantasy football to help you out with your drafts right now, but also breaking news around the league. College football was just kicked back off. Betting, which is going and coming into full swing, and the upcoming NFL draft. Speaking of the draft, it might seem early, but it is never going to be too early to get in your 2023 mock draft started. Head over to, to ProFootballNetwork.com forward slash mock draft. Send us your screenshots on how you think the uh, the NFL draft is going using the PFN NBS. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself, Tommy Garrett, over on Tommy Garrett uh, PFN over on Twitter. Speaking for Jason, I'm Tommy. We will see you guys in the next episode of the show.